Ladies and gentlemen, now hosting the Rizzo cast, put your hands together for Steven Risotto. What is happening, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 71 of RizzoCast. I'm Steven Risotto. Jasper Lindsay's on assignment, and we are <laughs> we are joined today by the beat writer for the Chatham Angler, Anglers of the Cape Cod Baseball League in Syracuse University journalism student. We've seen her once. She's back for a second time. The first person ever to be uh, on back to on not back to back, but on two RizzoCast episodes. It's Allie Kaler. Allie, welcome back. Happy to be here again. Enjoyed it the first time. Looking yeah. forward to this one. Super excited to have you back. Uh, and I know we have a topic in mind. Um, and as I mentioned, you're in the Cape Cod Baseball League. Uh, for those who don't know or might have maybe heard of the Cape Cod League, I know I've heard it. Uh, maybe I didn't do a whole lot of research into what it is. Kind of describe to them what it is and, and why players uh, go there and play during the summer. Yeah, so the Cape Cod League, it's just, it's a summer collegiate baseball league. So all of these guys either are college students or were college students that just graduated. And they come here, basically, it's just like, they get to play in the off season. And it's a wood bat league. So a lot of these guys, it's their first time using wood bats and the NCAA uses metal bats. And like a lot of their high schools use metal bats. So it's just they get like world-class training our pitching coaches I believe 16-year major leaguer Dennis Cook our hitting coaches former um, ranger Mickey Tuttleton and so we've got like a lot of really good guys just coaching this team like a lot like the Cape Cod League always draws the best players in collegiate baseball just because of like the prestige of the league it's one of the oldest it's been around for a while and it attracts like all of these big names and I once heard a stat where something like one-sixth of all current major league baseball players played in the Cape Cod League because it's just like if you played baseball in college and you're playing major league baseball now you probably played in the Cape League and if you didn't play in the Cape League you probably had a Cape League contract and for one reason or another didn't end up showing up wow that's that's outstanding that's crazy to think about and I know you before we came on I know you mentioned that there's a wall of all the former players that are now in the big leagues or went to the big leagues that went through uh, the angler so who are some of those players so our most famous one is Thurman Munson played here in 1967. So that's kind of like really cool. Just like then it was just like Chatham. It didn't have a name. It was just like the Chatham baseball team and he played here. And so that's like really cool knowing that like someone of like that caliber played here 50, 60 years ago. And like my personal favorite like it's it's got to be rich hill like you know my whole thing with dick mountain but he was here in 2001 absolute legend like we we love rich hill up here and like current guys that i guess are like really good chris bryant played here evan longoria played here um so there's just a lot of 
like current major leaguers where every night in between innings we'll go over like major league baseball scores on the air and we always like be sure to point out like current major leaguers in games so like we always start out with the royals because what merrifield's always in their lineup and we'll always do the cubs because chris bryant's usually in their lineup jacob stallings with the pirates like they're Matt Harvey, Rich Hill, like whatever the starters are starting, we always point them out. And so it's just really cool, like hearing that, seeing all of the guys that played here that went on like that, and then looking out at the field and seeing like the guys who will be doing that in four, five, six years. Yeah, 100%. And Rich Hill is a great, great. <laughs> legend of the game i don't even know how he got so popular but like i mean it's, it's just... dick mountain it's a hundred percent like <laughs> his players we can name was dick mountain people that didn't know who he was from that point on knew who rich hill was exactly and i'm not shocked that he went through the cape cod league this guy has literally been everywhere like he's cape cod uh you know top prospect to journeyman to independent baseball back to the big leagues you know postseason he's done everything so well traveled oldest um, ray to get a hit in franchise history wow i did not know that <laughs> at all that's crazy how old is he like 39 40 41 41 For, yeah 41 yeah I, I don't remember who they were playing a couple of weeks ago i think it was the nationals but like he he hit a single like as a pitcher it is now the oldest ray in franchise history to get a hit and he's playing with a guy who may be like the youngest guy in franchise history yeah. to get a hit, Wander Franco. So that's crazy. <laughs> Wander Franco probably looks at him like his dad or something like that. <laughs> like if, if you're like 20 years old, I would feel very uncomfortable just like even talking to like a 41-year-old on your team. That'd be really strange. It's like insane. <laughs> he's, he's younger than me. Like that's so weird. Oh yeah. It's only going to, it's going to be, I, I mean, next year that's going to happen to me. It's, it's happening, Allie. It's happening. It's happening. I mean, he, he, he's what a month older than you. Two months. Uh, yeah. yeah it's, it's birthday's in February. So two months older than you. That's Oh gosh. God. I can't even think about that. And then I'm sitting here on my, in my room doing a podcast. Fun. Yeah, we, we, we had a conversation the other day during a rain delay. It was like a couple of players who, there was one guy who we, we were all talking about Franco. Like we have this guy who's on his like fourth or fifth year of eligibility, I think. And like someone was talking about how Juan Soto is younger than him. And he was like, nope, I'm four days older than Juan Soto. Oh my God. Yeah, well, when Juan Soto came up and looked like he was like 28 or at least played like he was like 28. Mm -hmm. So yeah, no, the, the league's catching up to us. I'm actually going to uh, today to a, a San Jose Giants game, the low-A affiliate of the Giants, and Marco Luciano's down there, one of their top prospects, and probably soon to be one of the top prospects in all of baseball. And he was born the day before September 11, 2001. So, I mean, if, if you want to make people feel old, that's the way to do it. Uh, so anyhow, uh, we'll get to some of the standouts uh, in just a second, but how do you kind of rate the caliber of play that is in the Cape Cod? I know you've seen baseball practically at, at every level, high school, college, professional, big leagues. How does it kind of compare with, with some of the others? Yeah, this is the best non-professional, like, baseball talent I have ever seen. Like, 
if you took the Cape League All-Stars, which we're not having an All-Star game this year, but they still, like, need a roster of All-Stars, they could probably beat most, if not all, like, single-A teams in baseball. Like, it, it's, again, all of the best college players in the country come to the Cape League. And so this is basically like an NCAA All-Star League. And then you have like the All-Stars of the All-Stars where you're like really getting the best players in collegiate baseball. So we, there are a ton of Bandy guys up here and ton of Mississippi State guys, ton of Texas, Arkansas guys. But then like you also, there's some Division II players, Juco players, and it's like a very interesting mix that you're not going to get anywhere else. Uh, do you know how like players kind of get involved with like how to, you know, do they get invited? Do they just choose to play? Is it an entry type thing? Do you know how they yeah. kind of get involved? So it is kind of an invitation where you'll have coaches and recruiters from the team. will talk to the college coaches and be like, Hey, like, I want this guy on our team. And then they kind of like work out some sort of deal there to get the guys to sign. And they have here what's like, there's temporary contracts and like permanent contracts. And so the permanent contract is, I mean, you're here for the whole summer, obviously, but then the temporary contract is like, you can be like activated and released like at will where it's, like a lot of the guys that were drafted were on temporary contracts because like we knew they wouldn't be here the whole season. So there's no point in giving them a permanent contract or like college world series guys. A lot of them are maybe on temporary contracts. And so the temporary contracts are just, if we need an extra player, we don't have to go out and find another player and sign them. And we can just grab one of you guys. And my favorite like recruiting to the Cape story that I have heard so far here is that in 2003, um, the anglers really wanted Jared Hughes to be on their team. That That's another anglers alum that I really like. But so they're like talking to his coach and they were like, hey, we want Jared Hughes on our team. Like, can we make that happen? And the coach was like, yeah, you can get Jared Hughes but we also want you to take this guy, Evan Longoria. He was playing back up to Troy Tulowitzki this year. We're not sure if he's going to be a shortstop. He might be a third baseman, but if you sign, like we'll let you sign Jared Hughes as long as you also sign Evan Longoria. And they were like, fine. I have no idea who this like Evan Longoria kid is, but Jared Hughes is one of the best pitchers in college right now. So we'll gladly take him. And then Longoria goes from like this, nobody freshman playing backup shortstop to Troy Tulowitzki to Cape League All-Star, Cape League MVP, led the league in home runs. And that's like where he went from like not really anyone knowing who he is to like, what was he like the third overall pick? And so like, I guess that's kind of like a twofer in this story where it's that's how players get recruited. But then that's also like, how they get discovered is playing here and that's kind of where you find out this kid that's like playing in a mid-major conference or they're playing d2 or they're playing juco if they can succeed against the texas pitchers the vandy pitchers the arkansas pitchers they're probably going to succeed 
in the pros, even if they're not always playing that talent. Yeah, hundred percent. Because those are the you know pitchers from those schools are the ones that end up making it to the big leagues mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, and it also just it's also just a testament to like how guys are scouted. Like, oh, this guy's not playing. So here, take him as a throw in. That's that's pretty that's pretty funny. And Evan Longoria, of course, has had a very accomplished major league career. And Jared Hughes, who's known for a few things, uh, of course, is a preseason or his yeah preseason pictures that he does with his eyes wide open. Um, he's been a pretty okay reliever. I mean, he's also he was known great for... with the Reds. He was very good with the Reds for the year or two he was here. Mm-hmm. And he's also known for uh, running in from the bullpen and making JT Riomuto shake his head. <laughs> have, wait, have you seen the wide Jared Hughes video? No. Is there, is oh my like gosh, a... that's my favorite video. It's so funny. Have You'll to... have to, like, when, when you're going back and editing this, like, I'm going to send you wide Jared Hughes, put it in, like, right here for, like, five seconds. Yes, I'll do that. <laughs> I will do that. Um, now, you personally, how did you get involved with kind of covering the team? Yeah, so this is something that I guess writing for the Chatham Anglers has been like passed down through the generations. It's a Syracuse student paper where Jesse Dottery, who's the current Nats guy for the Washington Post, wrote here in 2014. And since then, it's something like a ridiculous number of like people have just been like from the Daily Orange where both the guys in 2019 and one of the guys in 2018, I'm pretty sure one of the guys in 2017, like it's just kind of like the connections where it's like you, like I went, I found out that two people from the DO wrote here and they were like, you should apply for the Cape. And I was like, okay. And then, um, I apply and like, I'm on a phone call with our media coordinator. He's like, so, you know, DeBundo and KJ. And I was like, yep. And like, from there, it's like, I mean, he kind of knows what he's getting, where it's like the quality of the writing of two writers from the same paper one year is probably going to be very similar to two writers the next year. So it's just like, I guess for him, it's really nice that he knows what he's getting into. Yeah, 100 percent. And Jesse, I actually sat behind him in the press box. Uh, That's sick. I didn't, I was just like, like I was kind of watching what he was doing. He was transcribing something. And then like I blinked and his game story was done. So I was like, oh my gosh, (laughs) what am I doing here? No, Uh, but no, he's, uh, he's definitely an awesome, uh, awesome writer. Yes, he's uh, awesome. Yeah. And it, it, like you said, rich history coming out of the Cape Cod uh, and you included there. Uh, so what is kind of your daily routine kind of covering the club? You know, what are, how, when do you get there? Obviously you're there early today. Um, uh, what are kind of some of the the duties that you do, things you write? Tell us about your, your day-to-day uh, routine. Yeah. So I showed up early today, like just for this, I'm not usually at Aww. the park by 11 AM, <laughs> but <laughs> um, on, a, for, on a home day, um, like, our games always start at seven when they're at home and I'll usually probably get here around like three, four, five, just like kind of depending on my mood. It's like, do I feel like showing up four hours early today or do I want to get there like as late as I can? Do I feel like and, facing people today? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, so once I get to the park, like, so we have two writers. The other one's also writing for the Daily Orange, by the way. So <laughs> lot, lots of Syracuse people in here. But um, 
So we alternate back and forth every day. Like one day, one of us will write the game story and the other one will do social media and then we'll flip-flop the next day. So I'm writing today. So I still have a preview story to write. So I'm going to do that, which is basically just like pitching matchups, like players who have been on hot streaks or that you might want to pay attention to or players who have been on cold streaks that might break out of it today. Just players to watch, like some stuff to look out for. So. I'll probably write that as soon as we get off, but then um, I'll get, I'm not sure if I'm going to go home yet. Maybe I will, maybe won't, not, but around probably like four or five, I'll like get, I'll actually go in the press box, like kind of just observe for a bit, like see what's going on during BP, like it, are Mickey or Dennis working with one of the players and can I go like kind of figure out what's going on there or whatever. I might write a couple hundred words beforehand of just like here's some context of the game that I guess could be included in my game story so then that's like you know 200 less words to write when you actually get to writing and then um when the game starts like I always score um my beat partner does not but on nights that I'm writing, I'll score like the first seven or so innings. And then I also have like a running Google doc of like, I mean, I can say like this guy grounded out to shortstop, but then if there was like a diving catch or like the first baseman made like an amazing grab on a bad throw, I can like write that down. And so I like remember that when I'm going back and writing, it's like, all right, this is exactly what happened. And here's how to like visualize it. And Usually around like six, seven, eighth inning, I'll like start writing because I want to have like a hundred words by the or eight hundred words by the final out, and so we publish like the early game story, um, and then after that's up, I'll go down and talk to the coach. I'll try to grab a couple players. That doesn't always work out, especially at road games, but. After that, I go back up to the press box for home games. They feed us. So mm -hmm. like I'll have my post-game meal and then sometimes I'll write the rest of my story from the press box. Sometimes I'll go home and finish it up. But yeah, that's pretty much it. I try to finish up like the full game story within a couple of hours and then it goes up the next day, gets tweeted out and everything. So that's what my night tonight will look like when I'm running social media. Um, we have like game day, like it's basically like any other team social media. We have a game day graphic, which is just like, we're playing today. Here's all of the information about where it is and the time and who we're playing and everything. And we'll have like lineup graphics, like in-game graphics about like pitcher lines, like home runs, stuff like that. And we live tweet like pretty much every single half inning where my dad has the angler's notifications on. He said that <laughs> it's, like it's it's his personal like MLB at bat where like every time someone scores, like he gets the tweet that like someone scored and this is how they scored. Or if a pitcher has a really good inning, like this person like threw 10 pitches and struck out all three batters or whatever, or really good defensive plays. And so like, it's not every half inning because I mean, if like 
if a pitcher like gives up a single and then like retires the other two batters that it, like it's not particularly impressive but it's not something that like everyone has to know and like same thing if like a guy walks and like that's the only angler's base runner that inning it's like you don't really have to tell everyone that that happened you know so it's we'll kind of like balance that of like we want people to like look at twitter and see what's going on in the game but we don't want to flood their timelines with stuff that's not particularly important to the game Mm -hmm. and so after the game like final score graphic whoever's doing social media is also the person that will like edit the game story and then post it on the website so i do that if it's at home i'd grab the post game meal after posting it and then after that it's just kind of like you hang out for a couple hours like i'll try to get some work done but since i'm not writing i don't really have anything to do until the game story is ready unless like our videographer our broadcasters get like the audio and visual highlights together our photographer puts the gallery up then i can like tweet those out and put them on facebook and stuff but for the most part like that's where my night ends and so so I guess that's like I have two typical game days and I hope that I just kind of went over what I do yeah 100 percent. that was perfect um and uh I actually had a dream last night about missing a deadline so I just didn't turn in the story at all and act like I took the day off or something so I don't know I have nightmares <laughs> like that I'm weird um so let's talk about the team that you covered, the the anglers. They're now nine and fourteen, I think. Um, what are what are some of the trends and, and storylines about this club that you've noticed covering it? Yeah, so this team has just like it's been very interesting. So going in to the season, like this was gonna be a big power team. We had Caden Grice, um, all American fresh second team all ACC at Clemson who was a huge power hitter there we had Kevin Parada who led Georgia Tech in home runs we had Ethan Long who this year at Arizona State shattered all of Spencer Torkelson's records that he set literally two years ago and so like coming in like the whole thing was going to be huge power team and then Long never showed up and now he's doing the Team USA Showcase. Grice left early to start the Team USA Showcase. Parada's doing the Team USA Showcase. So we kind of like, we lost all of our power bats. And so it's been a lot of adjustment where you have players that maybe weren't supposed to be stars, like now have to be stepping up and they have to be hitting. And like for some... I mean, I said earlier that a lot of these guys have never touched wood bats before. And so that's been a really difficult adjustment for a lot of guys on this team. So we went from being a big home run team to not hitting at all for the first couple weeks of the season. And like now the singles are starting to drop. The doubles are starting to drop. We had a home run yesterday. So guys are like, they're starting to get the pace up, which is good. But then there's also the issue with like the pitching's better than you've ever seen before and so especially we have a lot of juco guys and like these guys like 95 right by their head or like 
curveball breaking into the zone that like they weren't expecting and so that's been another adjustment where like especially since we have guys that maybe aren't playing at the highest level they're not playing SEC they're not playing Big 12 whatever that they aren't used to seeing this kind of pitching and so that's been another adjustment where like I mean I'm not trying to come on here and be like this team's terrible and they don't know how to play baseball but I mean that that's kind of what the adjustment's been like and talking to players and talking to coaches that's kind of like their biggest concern is that like some of these guys are just having more trouble adjusting to the wood bats to the pitching than maybe some other guys and some other teams Interesting. It's yeah. I, I mean, I don't. I never really thought about how how big that adjustment is, and some people make that adjustment in pro Ooh. ball and then struggle with it a little bit. Um, so, just a few of the players that you've seen and covered. Uh, University of Hawaii right-hander Aaron Davenport was selected by the Cleveland Indians in the sixth round of the recent MLB draft. Uh, you've gotten a chance to see him a little bit. Tell us what you've seen. So Davenport is like crazy just like in terms of baseball and not in terms of baseball like he's just insane where um i've seen his hair yeah it's great but he like maybe didn't do the best job in terms of like numbers i guess this year he was getting hit quite a bit but i mean like he has this stuff like earlier this year he threw like a 3300 rpm curveball like he he right and like i i have a friend who is a friend of a scout and like i was talking to him about davenport and he mentioned that like davenport like regularly hits 3000 wow like on, which is <laughs> insane especially for like just a college guy and so he has like some fantastic stuff which is why i'm like not surprised that he went i guess relatively early but then like i mentioned that he's like crazy off the field too where one time there was like a luncheon where all the players had to introduce themselves and they were asked like it was like your name your school your position and like your best memory from the season and you know like a lot of these guys were like they beat texas i hit three home runs in a game like Oh, I God. threw a no hitter or whatever. And then Davenport comes up and his best memory from the season is catching a 10 foot wave in Hawaii. Oh my <laughs> Or like there was another time this year where he was released to um from his contract to go do like pre-draft workouts. And um so he's released. He shows up three days later and it's like, I'm transferring to Arkansas. so he just like tells everyone that like he was like this like working out visiting schools like over the couple of days he was gone and then it's like the game was rained out that day and so the post-game deals usually served on the field but it was served in like the equipment shed this time and so he just like he strolls in like barefoot like it's raining and he's just like what's up guys (laughs) and so he's ridiculous I love him but and I'm like really excited to see the kind of stuff he can do in the pros yeah for sure so Aaron Davenport uh, Aaron Davenport keep an eye on him as he uh, goes through the Indian system Austin Vernon is another guy and another 
long-haired right-hander who is uh, selected in the draft and taken by the Tampa Bay Rays. What have you seen from Austin Vernon? Yeah, so he has just like, even besides his stuff, he has a super interesting story where out of high school, the only offer he got was North Carolina Central. And so that was like his only choice was he went there and then became like, I mean, a top 10 round draft pick where he just like somehow, I don't know what it was between high school and like his later years in college, but he just like completely transformed himself at NC Central. Um, This last year, he threw the first no hitter in program history. And um, last season, so this was 2020, um, he didn't go draft in the five-round draft, but he grew up a Yankees fan. And then, um, like, after the draft, he, like, got a FaceTime call from Aaron Boone and Brian Cashman, like, asking him to try to sign. And he said that it was, like, one of the hardest things he's ever done was to turn that down because he knew – he pitches one more season, he goes and gets drafted in like a full draft. He's going to make way more money than or and have a better like career outlook than he would if he had signed last season. So very interesting guy. And like, I was ecstatic when I found out he was drafted by the Rays because he like, he's a really good pitcher and like an even better guy. And just knowing that he's going to be in like the system to be for pitching prospects, like, mm-hmm. I can't wait to see what this guy's able to do with the Rays. Yeah, definitely. Anybody that gets drafted into the Rays system knows that they're going to get the best feedback, the best um, coaching for sure, and the best technology. And then the lone left-hander out of that group is, let's see if I can uh, say his name right, Adam Tolick. Is that right? Yeah. So Adam Tolick um, from uh, West Virginia, and he was taken in the 17th round by the Dodgers. Uh, tell us about Adam, Adam Tolick. I said his name right. I'm yeah. happy. <laughs> so I'm not sure if like Tolick was expecting to be absolutely, no, he was not expecting to be drafted because he said that he was like at the gym working out when it happened. And then he had a text from his friend, like once he gets done saying like, Hey, congrats, man. And he was like, for what? <laughs> he was like, dude, the Dodgers just drafted you. But, um, he right like West Virginia is his third school in three years so like he's been around but um he for like the better part of this season was the best pitcher on this team where he started this season with 11 scoreless innings um which at the time was the fourth most in the league um he's given up a couple of runs since then but he was starting a game where the anglers struck out 19 batters and i believe he was responsible for seven or eight of those so insane guy um i guess he's like more of a sneaky guy he doesn't have like the crazy like 3000 rpm curveball or the he's not throwing 100 but he's just like he has great command of his stuff and he's able to get batters out with it even if it's not the like typical like ridiculous pitches that you might think or expect yeah 100 percent. and you know i love 
the stories of when you know guys get drafted and hearing about it and like how they like what they were doing when they heard they were called up i mean i love i love those stories and um i think i asked eric young jr uh, the other day about uh you know where was he when he was drafted because he was drafted in like the 30th round and and I always say to like guys that get drafted in the late round, well, we know how the first round people find out, like they're at home on the couch in front of MLB network, but like 30th round in 2006, like how do you even find out about that? And he said that he was in his college film class uh, and he got a call. So that's, that's pretty awesome. And I love those, those origin stories. This is just a wild card question. Was there a guy down there? Um, we didn't, we didn't prep for this one, but is there, was there a guy down there named Patrick Wicklander? Yeah, so Wicklander was supposed to be on this team. And he's another guy where he, like, after his insane season at Arkansas, it was kind of like, I'm tired from NCAAs. I'm, like, expecting on being drafted. And, like, he was another temporary contract. And, like, he just, like, didn't come up. And, like, it, it feels like I'm, like, roasting him for, like, he wasn't following <laughs> through on his commitments. But, like, that that's not how I'm taking it at all. It's, like, I mean, you, you sign guys, other things come up sometimes where like he was tired from the season after being their best pitcher all season. And then it was like, it's a better use of my time to try to prepare for the draft or prepare for next season than it would be to like maybe face life batting, risk getting shelled and then not getting drafted or signed like he would mm -hmm. want to be. Yeah, and so, I, I so, yeah, so some guys take that risk. We're like the guys that we mentioned. We're like, I think that pitching here will be beneficial for me, or I know I have nothing to lose, so they'll come here. Where for a guy like Wicklander, maybe like it's in his best interest to not come for the one month he would be here. Yeah, makes sense. And I ask that because I know there's some people listening or watching that have some maybe PTSD feelings from Wicklander <laughs> because he actually no hit us in high school. Patrick, I love that. Patrick Wicklander. <laughs> uh, well, I was I was on the JV team at the time, and JV practice got done and varsity. So the people uh, one year ahead of me uh, were facing Patrick Wicklander, and you know I got to see that, and it was like ninety three with like cut, and like they just looked mesmerized. It was like, and they said we talk about it all the time, and also Red Sox prospect Nick York who ripped an RBI single off me that went right back up the middle, almost took my head off and he was drafted in the first round. So it's crazy when you have these connections, but Patrick Wicklander wanted to get to him uh, and that people felt, you know, have PTSD from facing <laughs> him. And then when I got to varsity the next year, I asked the guys that faced him, I was like, yeah, what was it like? And, you know, they were all like, Oh, we didn't even see the ball. We didn't even see the ball. And then here he is in the Cape Cod. It's a small world, I guess. Cause you know, you kind of have a, connection with him sort of story kind of that he was supposed to be there but he's not so that's interesting uh so what are you looking forward to the rest of the season here from the cape cod uh the cape cod league and the uh, the anglers so i'm just excited to see how it goes where I, I told you that they've struggled to kind of like put it together but at least for a second like the we we just had a three-game road trip and they won two of the three and then um, almost won the fourth and so they were on like a really good stretch where it was like they're getting double digit hits every game they're scoring like a ton of runs every game the pitching is 
like figuring it out and then like it's kind of fallen apart the last couple of games but just seeing if they can like find that spark again and then um like we've signed a lot of new guys recently where with guys leaving for team usa or the draft or whatever i mean you're gonna have to like find someone to fill in for those people and so we have a couple more like juco community college guys that have showed up and we have a couple more like guys that maybe weren't starters on their college teams but are going like it's going really well for them here and so like this league it's not about winning it's about like the pitchers want to do the best they can the hitters want to do the best they can and kind of like prepare themselves and the coaches for the most part know that it's not about winning where it's like I mean, winning feels good, but I mean, no one really came here. And like their one goal was like, I want to win a lot of games. I want to win a championship. It's, I want to face the best pitchers in the league. I want to work on my swing. I want to try to hit for more power or I want to add a new pitch or I want to like add some more spin to my curveball or add a mile an hour to my fastball or like, that's what guys come here to do. They don't necessarily come here to win and so it's really exciting to like see guys like try to figure that out and work on that stuff yeah that's awesome it's great that you're you're covering that team uh for sure we can't have you on without mentioning the reds just one second here i know the reds they're like right around 500 uh i know the brewers look i think they have the biggest lead of any division in baseball uh so which is like it's so weird like the brewers have like the biggest division lead but somehow the reds are still in it and you have like (laughs) they're ahead of the cardinals (laughs) yeah it's like maybe for like other like i know that a lot of nl east teams are like starting to tank now and the mets are like three games out of first place or stuff like that and so that's just like i'm not sure if like so before the break, the Reds had seven straight games against the Brewers, four before in Milwaukee and three after in Cincinnati. And like everyone was like, this is going to make or break the season where if you can beat like the team in first place and show that like you're here and like you're not messing around, then go on a run. And in Milwaukee, they win three out of four heading into the break with their two all-star starting outfielders like the bullpen which at one point had the worst era in baseball suddenly threw like 14 straight scoreless innings or whatever it was and it was like all right (laughs) everything is finally coming together and then the bullpen gives up 26 straight runs in four games to start the yeah so swept by the Brewers and then lost the first game of the series to the Mets 14 to 11 through 11 innings and they won last night but like I don't know (laughs) it's just but I I saw someone say that the Reds are in deadline purgatory where they're not bad enough to sell, but they're not good enough to buy. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. And, and it's like, I mean, I feel like the easy fix for this team is go out and like get bullpen help. Where if your bullpen's giving up 26 rounds in four games, you're not going to win anything. 
and but we also have like an incredibly cheap owner and like I will happily throw Bob Castellini under the bus <laughs> and just he oh, oh my gosh yeah yeah do you trade for Archie Bradley at the deadline and then non-tender him in the offseason <laughs> I don't understand it at all and so that's what's keeping this team from being a contender 100% it's like the bullpen and it's just like frustrating that like the ownership thinks that finding a couple like journeymen and paying him a hundred million dollars on a one-year contract or I said what pay sorry paying them a million dollars <laughs> on a one-year contract is enough and I was gonna say a hundred like, million dollars on a one-year contract yeah. <laughs> what, what one million one-year contract yeah yeah um yeah I mean the like you mentioned the the Reds and the Brewers going head-to-head same thing kind of with the Giants I mean they have a four-game set here in LA a chance to separate themselves a little bit. They won the first game. They lost in dramatic fashion last night. And then, you know, there's a series in between and then they welcome the Dodgers to San Francisco. So a lot of these divisions are going head to head, like right away here. And I mean, it's, I mean, this is definitely, it's not the home stretch just yet, but this is a really telling part in the year, especially when with the deadline coming up for sure. Uh, Allie, I think that something that like, I guess helps the Reds is that the Pirates are already the worst team in the National League. The Cubs are planning on tanking. The Cardinals haven't committed to it yet because they're the Cardinals, but like they're currently in fourth place, <laughs> several games under 500. And like, I guess that helps them. What also helps is the fact that like the only teams above 500 that they still have to play are three sets against the Dodgers at home, which like, for whatever reason, the Reds always just played very well against the Dodgers. Like, one, two out of three in L.A. earlier this season in 2019. I think, yeah, it was 2019. They swept the Dodgers in four games in L.A. And it's like, for whatever reason, like, the Reds can just, like, always beat the Dodgers. I don't understand it, but I guess I won't try to as long as they're winning. Um, mm-hmm. Two games with the White Sox. And a couple more with the Mets and then a couple more with the Brewers. Like that's it. Everyone else is currently below 500. Yeah. And so, speaking, speaking of the Reds, I was watching the Giants game last night, right? And, and Josiah Gray was making his big league mm-hmm. debut and he was in that Matt Kemp trade and then Alex Wood. And they were talking about him. They're like, yeah, here's Josiah Gray making his you know big league debut. And they used the opener. So it was the third inning. And they're like, he's a number one prospect in their system. And he was, you know, in the, in the deal that actually sent Alex Wood to uh, Cincinnati. And then all of a sudden they're like, all right. So in steps Alex Wood to face Josiah Gray, first big league hitter. (laughs) And I was like, wow, baseball. Like that's, that's insanity. Like there's so many weird things that happen like that. And it just makes you appreciate this game. So that's pretty awesome. (laughs) One time a couple of years ago, I like tweeted as, as a joke that like this is the greatest trade in Reds history like completely joking and then like last night some Dodgers fan like quote tweeted me and I was like who are you and why don't you understand sarcasm like please leave my tweets I don't care what you have to say about this (laughs) yeah exactly the people that dig up the receipts of course 
And again, oh. it, it, it was a joke. I don't understand like what's so hard to understand about that. But mm-hmm. I, Dodgers fans, what can you do? I know. What can you do about them? They're a lost cause. <laughs> I mean, I don't think. I mean, they leave early. <laughs> That's just a common thing about Dodger fans is they leave early. You you see the brake lights when somebody hits a fly ball. You see the brake lights over the outfield wall. Like, <laughs> so it's hilarious. Uh, Allie, thanks for joining me. I appreciate you coming on again and talking about the Cape Cod League and the Chatham Anglers um, of the Cape Cod League. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Thanks for coming on. I'm super fun. I'm really happy to be on again. Best of luck to you moving forward and uh, enjoy the rest of your summer for sure. Thank you. You guys can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at RizzoCast. Uh, subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast. You could find us more episodes to come soon and have a great day.